0: Hello and welcome to uh, part two of this special um, Adjutant's Lounge. I suppose it's a discussion, really, um, between myself uh, and OC uh, J4, uh, Dr. Philip Blood, currently based in Arkan. He you said know. it! Yes!
1: <laughs> Biggles has finally got the word right. <laughs>
0: and uh, next week we'll be looking at that really awkward word that I can never get my mouth round, and, and probably have a few people saying you said it wrong I'm chuffed with that, I've had to write it down by the way, because I kept oh, mispronouncing it thank you, no thank you that's um, outstanding <laughs> the second time the word has mentioned and you've got it right finally <laughs> a bit like a puppy you eventually don't get there um, thank you so much for coming back I guess uh,
1: being Biggles in the First World War. Words were a confusion, weren't they? Especially those European words.
0: Oh, absolutely. When, when you're wandering around in a leather trench coat, fly, flying over 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 the Western Front, you don't have to, time for niceties. Wipers yeah. will do. That's yeah. what it's called, wipers. You know, none of this eep and stuff. No, no, we don't have any any time for that sort of niceties. We were too busy doing stuff. <laughs> but we're very brave, Biggles. I mean, I read loads of your books. <laughs> Uh, oh it's nice to be to be the whipping boy for the junior service yes thank you very you much indeed So well. <laughs> <laughs> we should tell
1: ladies and gentlemen that the reason you're called biggles is because you're the only person in the royal air force that i'm having a conversation with
0: it, it, it's surreal isn't it excuse a few people it were you in the army uh, only in the TA then I joined the Air Force because I realised I had better dental care <laughs> 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 and actually the rumours about the food are true um, yes I, I maybe I got the chefs what, on the bad so day so is Camel a good plane to fly listen uh, no other aircraft could, could you get your scarf <laughs> at perfect 90 degree angle when flying over <coughs> the 191st Infantry Division <laughs> um on, on dawn patrol and in fact do you know why it's called dawn patrol
1: because it's a door
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah here we go <laughs> <laughs> now, now a previous guest hugh hamilton He's big into his military, his aerial history, and and the dawn patrol was was such because it was the most important patrol of the day. Yeah, the day before breakfast. Well, and you see, it was a lot more to it than looking, looking flash with a with a with a perfectly horizontal silk scarf fluttering there. I like the Liberty ones themselves, because they had a nice lining as well. If you got it right, um, cool, <laughs> but. But they, but the reason being is because the door patrol, was most important, because that was a reconnaissance patrol, and it gave the best light for the photographers. You had to hang out the side in their large plate cameras. I mean, it often makes me think: Did any of them inadvertently let go of the camera? Imagine that you're minding your own business in your trench, you're having a cup of coffee. Next <laughs> second, you get taken out by a 12 inch glass plate camera. <laughs> really, what, I got yes. in him <laughs>
1: Well, I guess with those old aeroplanes, things were falling off all the time, weren't they? You know. Oh,
0: they? Yeah, well, it was. It, it, now, which one was it? It was one of the DH DH series aircraft. They were forever dropping their undercarriage. Literally, they oh, they, they would just randomly fall off.
1: But I suppose you didn't have super glue then, did you? So you
0: had to. You all
1: bust it, you know. Get you know, Boston- <laughs> it together, make it nice and warm, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jobs are good, but no, no. It was yeah. It was it was all very. Uh, I'm just writing about it actually at the moment uh, in part. So uh, you're writing. Well, stringing words together in a, in a readable sentence, I think, would be yeah. the best. Yeah, you know, carry on writing, as we both are. We're both busy chaps. This is your um, application
1: for the chief of the air staff position.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I I th- I think I think my guest pass to High Wycombe's probably been rescinded by now. <laughs> This guy um, is far too coherent for our wishes. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm probably pers- persona non grata in certain quarters. No, probably not. <laughs> oh, well, it could be worse. Well, you know, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think how, but, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> all I'll <our, clears throat> say is though, GCS guidelines, JSPs, and other, other documents for which you can refer if you're doing anything like that. It's not hard. That's what I'm Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, people are gonna really start hating me, aren't they? Anyway, how how are you, my friend? Uh it's been a very exciting week since we last spoke.
1: Oh. We had um, floods and disasters in Germany, which of course meant the local areas been completely devastated. Uh, and then there's the all kinds of discussions with various people on A whole load of topics, everything from the Holocaust to the Battle of Britain to the bombing of Germany and First World War, Second World War. It's been actually a very lively week. And on Monday, thumbs up, the book went to the printers. Oh, brilliant stuff.
0: Oh, excellent stuff.
1: Yeah. So it's all gone.
0: That's it. But how long have you got off in in hours or days before you have to start the next book?
1: I've already started. Oh, wow. Because I'm one of those stupid people who works like three or four books at the same time.
0: I'm doing two at the moment and I don't want to do it ever again. (coughs) I'm doing
1: two at the moment. You see, I find stuff which then fits the other one. So I put it in that one and then I go on to the next one, which I was doing in the first place, and then go back to the one, you know. It, it, it's a kind of a confused way of working, but basically I have a big screen and all of the, the various books are up on the screen, so I can go to each one whenever I want.
0: <sighs> the, the, this is it, You know, I, I've gone from a, an environment of, of, of uh, short time frame you know, feature writing to, to lengthy booking Well, not lengthy book, but sort of lot like longer script writing. I haven't, I haven't quite got there to multiple frame. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I've got three screens.
1: So one book, when it's going into Word, goes on one screen and one screen, which, the other screen, which is conducting research gathering, um, is live all the time. So I'm putting stuff in. Um, I'm very fortunate. I technically don't have to ever go into an archive ever again. I have so many records, so much archive record here. Um, I'm very lucky I don't have to go in again. Well, that's just good. <coughs> just so somebody sweet said me, Somebody said to me, give me an idea of how much you've got. And I said, well, I've got the whole of the SS records. Here on a screen. If I want to press the button. I can go to any division, any unit, any personnel file. Wow. Yeah, so I'm fairly well off. So we've got, um, I I don't know if I mentioned it before, but Bettina is my partner and she she produces the GIS maps, which are the cycle GIS presentations of maps done for a system, computerized system. Um, We use Esri software and she generates these GIS maps of various situations. So for, for the Luftwaffe book, which has just gone to the printer, um, the GIS maps are showing the movement of ordinary soldiers, literally ordinary soldiers, small units wandering around, doing security operations and fighting in the forest. Wow. Uh, the next book we're looking at is management of the forest during the First World War. And we're actually gathering how many wild game were killed by German hot soldiers on R&R during the First World War, amongst all the other things, like the extraction of wood for construction of, you know, um, the Red Baron's aeroplanes and and the trenches, which became, you know, part of the Hindenburg Line. So, you know, we can trace all the woods coming from the Polish forest that where this industrial site was. So that's the, that's one of the books. I, The Arkham Manchester book is hopefully finished by the end of the year and that's the one we've been talking about, obviously. Yeah. Um, On my series on Bandenbekämpfung, which is this security measure adopted by the Germans after the Franco-Prussian War. um, Well, the first book was Hitler's Bandit Hunters. The second book is Birds of Prey, which should be out on the 21st of September, and I'm just about to uh, put together the chapters, I've got seven out of nine chapters for the next one in the series, which will be Krieg, which is security warfare, which is a concept that I discovered in German security operations, first used and deployed in the colonies and then used during the First World War, Um, funny enough, to reduce the Rata Republic in 1919 with a Encirclement action of police troops and paramilitaries. So, yeah, I'm fairly busy. Good sign. When does the writing stop? Doesn't really stop, to be
0: honest. It doesn't, does it? I mean, it's sort of—you're either writing or you're researching. Um, one or the other, isn't it? And even the research requires writing. And I must admit, <clears throat> one of the books I'm doing at the moment, I had a real writer's block moment, and and it's. It, and whether it's because of the, the uh, me being me, I don't know. But I managed to cure it by taking a walk into town, into Newark, the exotic Newark-on-Trent, and getting a sausage roll. And it seemed to clear clear the brain fog. But it, but it, I think people tend to forget we don't just sit there and do, do we? There's so much that goes into it beforehand.
1: Well, one day somebody said to me, Immanuel Kant walked the same walk for like 40, 50 years of his life. The same walk in Koenigsburg from his house, to his wherever he worked and back again. And it always struck me as an odd thing to do, and therefore pretty canty and in, in just his behaviour. Decades later, I realised the value of it because I walk up to um, where I am in Arkan. I'm actually right in the heart of what would have been the 1944 battlefield. Uh, and I take a walk, so I pass, I go up the hill and I pass where there were four graves from the siege fighting in the command centre. I walk past the air raid shelter, which was put up before 1943, the 43 raid that we've been talking about, uh, and then walk past where the command bunker was, where Vilka surrendered. And I've that's now a block of flats, um, but I know where it is, and I've got pictures of it. So I I just look at the image and I can see the image. I don't need don't need anything to tell me that I I can see where it was and then I walk a bit further and I get to the tunnel where they put all the population at the very end to stop them from being blown up and then when I stand at that tunnel I look way over and I can see where the few guys from the Waffen SS who escaped the, the city I can see their run. I can actually stand and look at the roads, the little roads that they took. And almost all of those roads are still the same today. Wow. So, so when I do a little walk, I, I can walk through. I, it's quite exciting, I can walk through And if I go the other walk, I make my way to an abandoned um, Protestant cemetery where one of the Duke of Wellington's artillery officers is buried, which is unusual. No one's ever been able to tell me who he was a guy called MacDonald, who's was a general of artillery, and he died during the, um, I think it's the 1916 Congress, could have been earlier, could have been later, I always get the dates confused, uh, the Aix-la-Chapelle the conference, you know, under the Metternich rulings of controlling Europe, the Congress of Europe, all that series. Uh, and I walk up there to see that, uh, and then I look at the, the older parts of Arkham where you go past where Aaron Frank's grandparents were born and where that community lived and then a little bit further um, you see Hanseman. Hansman is really the modern father of Arkham and he brought the railways and the insurance companies and the banks and you name it but he was also behind the 1848 Liberal Revolution so so it's like I've got two sides. I can go down the modern history, or I can go down the early European history, and 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 generally clear my head and just engage with people. Um, some of my students think I was a bit crazy because I would stand before Hanseman and say, "Look, you screwed up on that railway line." <laughs> 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 that's a private. That's a private, three, two, two railway freaks, really. But there you go. He did a good job.
0: Got there in the end, as they say.
1: Yeah, I just <clears throat> you shouldn't have put the curve in so tight at Arkham because you can see it's always had problems ever since and they've always tried to, you know, fudge it. But anyway, that's just a minor detail of me. <laughs> Telling off people
0: who've been long dead. With their poor, poor approach to railway design, uh, you, you don't want to look at these. Well, actually, you know, I mean, here the railway design, although it's sort of still on Victoria lines, and there's some wonderful books. I've got a couple of wonderful books about Victorian railway design and, and how it's driven by a whole host of things. And I'm sure they had the same experiences in in Germany, you know, Victorian Germany, uh, politics, and landowners, and money.
1: Yeah, but the other thing was. The way they wrote to people and, and imposition by the German army about the kind of scale and gauge and and the sheer weight of gravel they're going to put down, so the tracks are never going to move. They wanted the heavy traffic to be able to move rapidly. The sheer the sheer level of contemplation that was going in and behind the planning and then the work, it just astounds me. It really does astound me. I think it, I think it's just marvellous. It's one of the beauties of living in Arkham um, because it's just been one discovery after another. And and we haven't even mentioned Charlemagne or Carl De Vosa, um, you know, right. who's yeah. uh, that big cheese who kind of, you know. Kind of ruined it for everyone. Kind of ruined it for everybody, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a medal now. Yeah. They, they dangle him round all these politicians like Blair and Churchill and what have you. Oh, well, never mind.
0: Strange isn't it? How, <clears throat> how the world sort of changes, even in a very short period of time, actually. Um,
1: well, you, you know, the, the, one of the stories that goes around is that Hitler hated Charlemagne because he killed all the Saxon chieftains. And the reason, <laughs> the reason why he hated that was because Saxony gave Hitler his German nationalhood. He he was actually received his nationhood in Brunswick, Brunswick, Braunschweig. So, so you get. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe I do know, but I don't think I do. There's these stories and rumours that the reason why he hated Charlemagne was simply because um, he killed all the Saxon chieftains. But then, you know, in research, I keep finding uh, Hitler saying, you know, I now understand why Charlemagne did what he did. You know, so. Yeah, it's one of those stories, really. But Arkham has got so much history, you're literally tipping over. Um, Like I said, I think my street, it's the centre of the fighting, the centre of the bombing. Um, It got severely damaged in the bombing and in 1944 was converted into a rat trap, uh, a rat line. You, You know, rat lines. You put holes in the sides of the buildings. So if there's a row of buildings, you run through the road. Yeah. So you dig a hole so big you don't have to duck. You just run the way through and then at the back you run planks, wooden planks over the stairs so you can shoot and scoot. As they call it. Uh, run, deliver, run, deliver. You you name it all the way through right the way back up the command center. Uh, and so we've got two holes, one there and one in the other room. Um, where German soldiers would have run through. Well, wow. And then in the street, you can see where they probably went up because <coughs> they hammered away at all the, you know, the brickwork the that would have gone along the side of the steps, all of that got smashed. You can see it. So, and we're in the last fighting quarter. So I know that American soldiers were in my street at some point, and I know the street at the end, there were tanks climbing up it, slowly grinding away. Um, yeah, and literally apart from the bomb that landed near us, which blew our houses away, uh, there's a school to the right about 200 meters along, um, which disappeared in the road. But as I think we were discussing. Because there was a special um, system of defences here in our which had been imposed in 1941. There was discipline by 1943. There was a huge, there there, there were huge bunkers which saved a large part of the population. Okay, a great many people evacuated from the city. Um, And by September 1944, there were only 4,000 people in the city. But, but when the heavy raids were coming in, Arkham wasn't suffering the kind of casualties, even though it was, you know, uh, bombed 145 times more than Dresden. It still only had 10% of the losses. And and there's 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 issues there which I still haven't resolved because there's been more bombing of Arkan probably than most of the West. And the first bombs fall on Arkan in on May the 14th. So. Churchill's only been in power four days and he's already declared bombing. So you've got a situation where that city is a primary target for the next four years. So I think there was 20 raids in 1940 and then it gradually increases to 72 in 43. Wow. Um, Everybody knows of the 43 raid, but assumes, generally assumed by people, that the April 1944 raid was the one that destroyed the city. Um, no, what actually happened was with the burning of the centre of the city in June, in uh, July 1943, the one we've been talking about, you actually destroy all the medieval buildings. Now, the raid was already prescribed long before as a was the final heavy raid, but an arson raid. So the per, the sole purpose was to burn Arken. And it was designated as a burning exercise. Um, and they did achieve a firestorm and the propaganda, the, the Nazi propaganda unit that was actually happened to just happen to be in the city by chance doing something else made a program. Uh, and recorded what was happening on one of those, you know, those machines that made records.
0: Oh yes, yeah.
1: So they recorded the bombing and they had um, the correspondent, I can only go by <clears throat> by what was written. I've never heard it, but apparently he, they were trying to record the burning sounds while the man was screaming that there's burning splinters in the air and the wind started to get up because with the firestorm you get this surge of wind suddenly which is actually as it's spinning and sucking and you get this sensation and that suddenly surprised them because they'd never had that sensation. And on top of all the utilities um, not working like water and electricity, they were hindered by tram lines because the bombs had blown up tram lines and the tram lines were stopping vehicles from coming through because they twisted right. uh, all over the streets one street had something like 15 unexploded bombs with timers on oh, grace um, so and in all this cacophony c- c- of sound um the fire the, the alarms going so you've got alarms, you've got the fire engines, you've got the ambulances, they're frightened about the cathedral burning. Um, the interesting thing about the Baumeister of the cathedral is he put a team of young students together and they were fire watchers. Uh, and they were kicking the, the bombs and in the incendiaries off the roof. Because inside the the Dome, the Great Cathedral, Charlemagne's Cathedral, well, more extended since he was around, um, there were wooden rafters. So we're kicking them out. Um, and of course with all the zinc that's in this area, because it's a it's a very popular, you know, it's mass used in in towers and what have you, the Granus Tower started to melt. Actually, you, there's a picture of it melting into the street. Um, they were then frightened about what was going to happen to the Rat House because the Rat House is wooden construction. Um, what actually happened was a bomb landed right in front of it in September in April 1944, and literally the whole of the front started to collapse. So they had to put up um, like flying buttresses to hold the front up till so they could re-put um, concrete or whatever to re-support the, the whole of the, but they, front rat of uh, front of the rat house, but at one point they nearly lost the rat house. Um, the Granus Tower, which is the famous tower where Charlemagne is supposed to have sat for 40 years trying to learn to write and never overcome his uh, illiteracy, um, that was very severely damaged. Um, all of the administration buildings, which were uh, kind of like the adjunct to there were imperial buildings built to the design the, the similar design to the rat house they disappeared um, somewhere in all of this frank um, and i think i i believe anne frank's grandparents house was destroyed in that raid because the raid swept through from the centre of the town coming up towards what the area where we call the Quellenhof and the Lundsberg. The Quellenhof is the primary hotel of Aachen, and Lundsberg is the big hill that overlooks whole city. Um, so that was my impression of, of how that fire went. Now in the books that I showed you um, on that uh, thread that I did, there's only one that really looks at the raids. And all of those books now you can't find in the bookshops. So if I go to the main main, the main bookshop in Arkham, it's very difficult to find anything a about raids, b about the Second World War. What you will find about the Second World War is pretty torrid stuff. Um, Not really use nor ornament, really, as my great grandfather would have said. Um, As I read more and I'm just talking about why I've ended up doing this thing. Um, As I read more about Arkham while I was on a university uh, project, I was leading uh, a Chamber of History, Chamber of Commerce History project for the University of Arkham. The more I started, the more I read about what happened with the raids, the more I realized that people didn't understand what had actually happened. And that's because the city has no archives. It has no archives because it was the first city that was occupied by an Allied power, and the, and the, <clears throat> all the documents were stripped. Right. And the problem with that is, you get GIs using state papers for the heating because it was cold, it was wet. There's no utilities. They captured the city, which was, for all intents and purposes, dead. So. <laughs> They were using stuff to start fires, taking out beams and burning stuff and what have you. Um, it has to be said, there was an awful lot of looting taking place. Um, and, and what was interesting is it's like the neighbors and the neighbors in this sense of Belgians and Dutch. Wanted the revenge for everything that had been done to them. So you suddenly found that, you know, locals, especially specially released uh, slave labor, started to loot what was left because obviously the, the German community had gone and all there is the ruins and Americans in there. And this is where the story of the July raid becomes strange. And we have to go back to Bomber Harris. Now, you know, we put Bomber Harris there as. His photograph and his book.
0: Mm.
1: If you read his book, you don't get impressions of how important Arkham was. You read the book and you think, "Hmm, okay, well, there's a mention, but nothing really. So, so, Mr. Harris, (laughs) why did you set about having a special survey of the bombing of Arkham in February 1945? And, and the more I looked into that question, the more I realized how important the July raid was. Because in the report that he was trying to create, which was a pre-survey report of the value of bombing, the July raid was, this was the point when we actually physically destroyed a city. So in the reports they are saying, we destroyed the city. And when they come in and raid to destroy the railways in September, uh, in, in um, April and May 1944, preceding Normandy, the reports are we are bombing the destroyed city of Arkham. So everybody in um, in Royal Air Force thinking mindset is that we've now destroyed a city And now we have the chance to go and prove that we've destroyed the city. But at the same time, we we all know that the Americans captured the city after a six week siege. We also know that the last bombing of Royal Air Force on the 28th of May 1944 wasn't the end of the bombing. Because the 9th Air Force, the Ninth United States Air Force came along and dumped 168 tons of bombs on Arkham. Pre the fighting for the siege. So there's a, And as we know, those aircraft have, are dropping a range of different kinds of armaments which are different from the ones that the Royal Air Force dropped. So you've got the heavy bombs, the arson, uh, you know, the incendiaries, the firebombs, the mines. They're dropped by the Royal Air Force. Of course, the high explosive bombs as well. And then the United United States Air Force has come in and you can see lightnings and thunderbolts dropping all kinds of ordnance all over the city. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then... The American general who's going to destroy Arken says, knock them all down. And what he means is every time you come to a building with resistance, knock it down. So you don't you don't just engage with the Germans in a fight. You actually knock them out. So what you actually get is Sherman's supporting A-10 tank destroyers. And mobile 155 millimetre guns. Coming up the road with the American Infantry on either side. Waiting for the building on the corner to be blown out and then charging. And they do this all the way through Arken until Oberst Wilco um. Surrendered. 21st of October 1944, so they enter the city on the 7th of o- October at Rota Erda which is the little railway station up the road from the central market, and they literally pound their way through on two fronts smashing the city of- to pieces. What's interesting is at the end of the surrender and everything and it's all over, Thomas Harris says well actually we won that one. <laughs> We destroyed the city. You didn't have a lot of trouble there. Because we did it for you. And the Americans say, uh, excuse me, like we lost 900 soldiers plus many more wounded. uh, Fighting for this city and you're saying you won the city. So then Harris his cotton socks, waits until after the Battle of the Bulge and sends in a survey team to go and have a look. And their job is to measure the bomb damage by British bombs. With a slide rule and a tape measure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so just so I get it straight in my own head. So we've got a city.
1: Oh, brilliant. These seven days. A team of professional Surveyors, engineers, scientists survey Arken and report on everything.
0: Okay, just I mean you know if just just looking at the the, the photographs that exist of, of Arken post post the American uh, assault. Um, Between September and October 44. It's pretty much leveled. And and I'm gonna have and and if if anyone is out there who who is um, a physicist, because it's sort of is definitely in the realms of physicists and quantity surveillance and the like, how could you possibly tell at that point because you've got rubble left, right, and centre very clearly, what was air bomb damage and what was in effect damage from a Hesh round. How how would you do that? were something with the class well, building or am i being well, completely stupid here
1: <laughs> they picked several office blocks and housing areas oh okay that they believed had not been touched by the americans because the americans had gone down a different route
0: all right all right okay
1: so they took the routes so they took the routes of where the bombers went. So here's one and I'm, I'm going to show you the picture. I'll put it up later, I promise. Okay, this is a picture of a factory, you see it? Yeah, oh, I can see that, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: That's a thick picture of a factory in Straße, where the Americans didn't go and that apparently shows a bomb, because it, the buildings are blown from the top downwards. Yeah.
0: So just just for so we're, we're, you know just for the listener, can I just look at the picture too? It'll be in the link, but it, it's it's got that archetypical sort of concaved cornering that perhaps we've seen more recently in, con- in contemporary photographs of the air war in the First Gulf War, um, definitely of the Balkans in some of the late nineties. I mean, to, to be honest with you, even I, as a blithering idiot, <laughs> could see that's sort of a you know definite bomb damage.
1: So, what I did was to take all the reports, as you do, yeah, and go around and look at all the damage. So I, so when they went to one area, I copied, I took a copy of the building that they'd taken a picture of, and I took a picture, and then I compared the two which ones had been repaired and which ones hadn't, which ones were total losses. And what I found very interesting was they declared this whole block a total loss. But the buildings that I was standing looking at had not been touched.
0: In in a way you could say that that's testimony to the, the precision of of the bombing but I know that would be and it sounds awful to be saying this but uh, fib, because knowing at the time the sites they were using were, were often a little bit hit and miss more often than not miss but if they're coming at height, so you know you have to take in a, a great deal of the factors that I don't know off of my head. And I think the problem that they had was they couldn't find a block
1: where the whole buildings had been destroyed from above.
0: Um, Again, I mean, are they, you know, if they're returning almost two years after the fact as I'm, and after quite a quite a lengthy siege, as you rightly said, it would be exceptionally hard to identify those, wouldn't it, really?
1: Yes. So what they did was they said that block, which appears to us to not be touched, is in fact destroyed. I, I, it's a logical answer, isn't it? No, no, no. They know nobody's going to come back and test the numbers. So there you are, but we'll have that block out and we'll have that block out and then we'll come back to it later and show that actually. They're dead. They look like they are correct, but actually those buildings have got brittle stones and they're gone so when i went up to those buildings which appeared to have been untouched and kind of hammered on the wall they were not brittle so i realized what they were saying is they couldn't distinguish between the bombs and the artillery
0: So, this is quite interesting because at this point we, we, we're going from survey to almost a forensic geogra- geographical survey. We've gone from looking at it uh, as on almost face value we, with the photograph you shared of the, the corner of the uh, the munitions building, uh, so the building on Munitions Thruster, uh, clearly taken out by um, Airborne Ordnance. And you sort of got the other the other side of it where there was a sort of is it, isn't it? And when I find that not peculiar, but I, it, it just seems interesting how, how there's that, that leap, isn't there, from... Right. I'll know.
1: tell you how they did it. First of all, they didn't rely on, re- on surveyors. They relied on operational research analysis. And what they said was, if you look at that map and you look at the areas destroyed, those buildings are destroyed because nobody could possibly live in them afterwards. There was a fire. The buildings were gutted, they were useless. Okay. Right. Now, I had this discussion earlier in the week with somebody because a lot of people think operational research is definitely the application of correct formula all the way through to the end, and that formula replaces assumptions and fudging. and statistical error. Well, actually, it doesn't, because the problem of operational research is the formulas only take you so far. They will let you play so far, but then they stop you from having, you know, pure accuracy. You can't tell whether that house was inhabitable. You can only make a value judgment, and assessment that that house was in, was inhabitable because when you came along it fell within an area which had been evacuated which would been uh, ransacked and there were scorch marks on buildings so you have to assume and this is the point you make an assumption now if i dial that back how many other assumptions have been going on so i asked the question and one of the most famous um, operational research scientist who worked for the Royal Air Force was a, a young man called Dyson. I think his name Freeman Dyson. And he put a series of programs up on YouTube about how operational research worked. And I watched one of the programs and he was talking about something which he had worked on in which he had grave concerns over what had happened. And what what this was was the question of um, the upward firing guns on German night fighters? Now, Schrager music was basically two guns on an ME110 M- or a who um, a hu- uh, can never say it, a 219, uh-huh. two and, and, and those kind of aircrafts. And, Upward firing guns meant that the airplane, that the night fighter would come in line with the bomber and then would literally destroy the bomber from underneath. Well, of course, there's a problem there because if it's carrying bombs, you're going to get the full load on top of you. So, as far as I understand it, the night fighters waited until the bombs had dropped and then they came in underneath, formating with the Lancaster. Halifax or whatever the plane was, and up the upward firing guns would rake the aircraft until it would come down. You know, shoot it down. So when I when I, I I went through all the oral histories of Lancaster bomber pilots that were around, available at the time, and all of them were saying, if you knew the German night fighter was formatting on you, you had to get him off you knew that he could take you out with his upward firing guns. So I went all the way through the operational research papers and I couldn't find anything. Maybe it's me, but I couldn't find anything that was particularly obvious about upward firing guns. And then I listened to Dyson and he said we made a mistake. We assumed that the pilots were lying. And they had applied an assumption to the evidence made the decision that they wouldn't have something to defend against this now okay that's the kind of error that occurs in operational research and i know several other cases where engineering issues especially with tanks where the remi was involved um, there were there were huge issues with operational research and, and the troopers at the front line so I'm very careful with operational research because when I've actually worked with it in the civilian sector, it's always been a device for destroying. It's very good at destroying a company. You can apply that operational, those operational research models very easily, and you can come with the answers you want. You know, Beeching was a master of it. He created the whole thing of nonsense figures. And if you look at the guys, Who were behind Thatcher, saying Labour isn't working and the country's falling apart, and all the rest of it? They were operational research scientists from IBM, and if you look at their models, there's a big flaw in the model, and you can see that flaw in that in those modelings going all the way back to the Second World War. So, I've got a situation. I know how bad the raid is. I know I've got few casualties in comparison with Dresden, 300 dead. I mean, it's only a few compared to the 30,000 or whatever the number was in Dresden. I've got maybe several thousand wounded and injured. The question is, did that raid destroy the city? Now, Harris, having produced his survey, made a big statement that Arkham proved that Bomber Command had destroyed a city. Solly Zuckerman is put into the position after Churchill loses, just before Churchill loses the um, election in 1945. To run a bombing survey and the British Bombing Survey is going to be Solly Zuckerman's version of bombing, which is, of course, against Harris. Now, Solly Zuckerman does everything but go to Arkham? So I can look at the bombing survey and I can be I'm very interested about the idea of taking out the oil lines and the transportation rates and all the rest of it. But Arkan's not mentioned. And I think one of the reasons why Arkham wasn't mentioned was because it was occupied by the Americans. And when they were running that time, that period of the survey. Technically, Arkham was still under American occupation. When the British came in in June, July 1945, the survey had already moved on. Right. Now, here's the funny thing. The United States Army Air Force survey missed Arkham.
0: Okay.
1: They said, well, we never bombed the place, so what's, what's it to us? And they didn't. They used it three times to drop test G and test bombing. But that was the three. And the US bombing Survey didn't know about the, the airmen who were captured in Aachen and severely beaten. So the entire story of Arkan disappeared out of the American history. Now, the really funny thing is, having been frontline news and been such an interesting subject globally, Arkan itself as an American military history achievement vanished. So you can't find many books on many books on it. It's almost like, well, yeah, okay, we captured it, it was the first city, but you know so what? So there are books, don't get me wrong, but it's not up there like you know this is the big red one or this is Captar <laughs> blah blah
0: blah. I find that really peculiar because it was, it was the first major city, the first major German city that fell into allied hands. And so I, I find the Americans almost, like I say that there are books. I'm sure there would have been, there would have been books done in the sixties and seventies when there was a sort of spur, there's this sort of burgeoning bulging sort of field of research, um, you know, perhaps not brilliantly researched, but plenty of, you know, plenty of picture books, I find that really odd that the Americans almost distance themselves from it. Would would that be because of the work of Zuckerman and, 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 you know, even the RAF, you know, just to say, well, we actually leveled it first.
1: Well, I have a marvellous friend who is, um, uh, he was a colonel in the US Army and a fantastic historian, a guy called Roger Cirillo. And Roger said to me, Did you know the history, the U.S. Army history branch had run this project almost immediately? As the city's being captured. So he sent me all these combat reports. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about a small number. This was a crate of combat reports and stuff that turned up. um, Some years ago. And I started to read it and none of it was in the books. So you know as you do, you you get a combat report and then you look for sources where it might have been entered. And it was engineers blowing up strong points. See, I I had to keep relying on this exploding thing just to show that Harris might not be right. So I went back to this this engineering study, which was run by the Corps of Engineers US Army which was, you know, defeating the German army and several chapters were on breaking the Siegfried Line and all the rest of it. And I've got the combat engineers report of fighting in the streets of Aachen. And I've got the Corps of engineers study of the history. And neither. It's not the reports not mentioned. So I went. (laughs) So I went to the so I went to the tank dudes because you know the tank dudes. As mm-hmm. soon as they do something tanky, they they kind of get very excited and write <laughs> lots of stuff. And you know you've got Shermans, you've got Hellcat. Is it a Hellcat? The A10 thing with the open top.
0: Yeah, well, you see how you, the, you the two big destroyers. And you know the M10, which was the slightly larger, based on the the M4 hull of the Sherman. Then you had the M18 Hellcat, which was just coming into service around the time of the Siege of Arc. Right. Of, so I'm not sure if that would be the M10. I've seen photographs of the M10 in you know, giving it some Yeehaw over, over open sites, as it were. So um, these guys are strolling
1: down yeah. the streets
0: <laughs> with with
1: these 155 SPs, with all the gap all the barrels are flat, aiming straight at buildings, blowing away stuff. Yeah. And you think, well. Surely you guys of anybody would just want to have tanky stuff, even just a, a picture book yes. of tankies. Nothing. And I've got fantastic pictures of tanks in the streets, you know, doing stuff. And uh, I mean, it, it, it anyway, as a, as a non-military historian who does military history, I was looking at this thinking to myself, there's something seriously wrong here. Because why is this not a bigger issue? Why why has, why has the whole thing just been taken flat? So Albert started to look at the German sources and the German sources are awful. Um, you've even got books where they try and explain that the US army was liberating Narkom, which, you know, it's the thing here, you know, the American army and the British army were liberating Germany. They weren't, they weren't, um, you know that other thing—killing, beating, <laughs> unpleasant—they <laughs> were liberators. So you get this whole story of liberation. Well, hang on a minute. No, even the kids are
0: fighting. What, what strikes me interestingly about all these reports is, and it's just as as, as you've been speaking, as I've been, been pouring through, and, and the one thing that. The, the one note I did make was the artillery, you know, the actual core of artillery in all of this, because, like you say, American the, the American armored divisions were prolific in 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 this self promotion, especially those working with with Patton's Third. You know that they they took the lead of their, you know their their GOC, uh, and I'm I'm surprised. You know, w- w- did did any of the the supporting artillery? Um, See, I've got
1: uh, artillery. I mean, right. Okay.
0: They've got 155 millimeter
1: guns now, not mobile but stationary, plus the 105 millimeter guns pounding away line by line. I mean, we are doing the total destruction job here. I mean, you you just have to see the firing; it's quite staggering. I mean, they're shelling constantly before Americans even hmm, get out them get out their holes. And If you look at the pictures, you can actually see the smoke where clearly something has been landing or going on. And of course, in the films, if you look at the pictures, while the American troops are already in the streets, and I know where they are, I actually know the streets where they're in, and you can actually see, to have been at the angle to show where that lightning is coming in, dropping the bombs, I know the position I'd have to be in to see that happening, yeah, because the lights are coming in fairly low. So you can make out the buildings and many of those buildings still exist but you've got all this stuff going on i've only ever found one american air force study that mentioned the bombing of arkham it's like this place is just persona non grata
0: isn't that really strange though because at this point you know you would have thought and, and again and uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching this purely for you know historic from a historical context nothing more that we, with close you know american uh, air support being you know used utilized in such a close manner they would have made a little bit more of it you know this especially being that the first german city you know we're taking the fight to the germans we are doing this we're using x y and Z look what we're doing you you would have thought they would have made a little or actually a lot more propaganda capital out of it well,
1: now we're getting into the maybe what the real situation is. So when the city's occupied, a civil affairs unit comes into Arkan and takes over the place. And straight away, the remaining people who'd, who'd hidden, I'm not joking, during that whole three-week siege, some Arkaners actually lived in the cellars and the bunkers. So when the American civil affairs teams came in, they took all the people out and they actually fed them and looked after them in Brand, which is one of the military garrisons up the road, And they were very, very kind. I mean, they were looking after the kids. They weren't that cruel to the German soldiers, the, the POWs, because quite a lot of them were very young. They weren't very happy with them. you know clearly it's not the best mates kind of situation but they weren't unpleasant so because they could have been because they they literally could have been so you've got this kind of situation taking place there is a propaganda element you can see that they're trying to get the message across the stories that are feeding back to the intelligence units you can see that the reports are coming through that there's going to be a whole tranche of american german soldiers and civilians who are going to be interrogated so Carmichael runs, who is the civil affairs officer, comes in and he starts imposing everything. Now, the thing about this guy was, he was like a very strange individual if you look at his background. And I don't want to go too far into it because it these things can get very complicated. But he had a strange political background in America. And I started to be very concerned that there was no indication that this guy had any comprehension of German, had no, probably not much idea of um, German culture and had probably only had what he had simply because he'd been in a very political position and he'd been given that position because it was politics. So he comes in and straight away it's very clear that he's going to take all decisions, that the bishop is going to tell him to do. So the Bishop of Aachen, who's been there since for, for some years under Nazi rule, is now going to be the guy that dictates what's going to happen to the initial American occupation. And the bishop recommends a civilian who happens to be. Who'd been quite involved in the Nazi. Community in commercial terms and made him. the the first Lord Mayor over Burgermeister. They then had all the under-Burgermeisters who fulfilled roles, and one of them included one chap who was supposedly half Jewish, although the story is not all altogether clear, who had a very, very dodgy background during the war. And there, there was a story that he'd actually put his adopted parents, both Jews, on the last train to Auschwitz so you get this very very strange story emerging and then lo and behold adolf hitler attacks at the battle of bulge so you've had four weeks of this occupation with the bishop and this Oberbürgermeister and the americans do they're told and there's panic in american lines and people are wanting to run away the Germans arrive at Monschau, there's panic in Aachen. Um, that didn't go down very well. And the counterintelligence officer is sent to Aachen called Saul Padover, and I've listed his book in the uh, pages. And Saul Padover's first job, and his only job had been when he was on the continent, was to interrogate in German captives, civilian and military. That was his primary job. He was technically a psychologist, although I'm not so sure that's correct. But anyway, so he's checking. um, All of these people who are processed in the various uh, camps, plus he starts talking to the Lord Mayor, the Oberbergermeister Oppenhoff, and um, the Bishop and several other people. And. A few years afterwards, two years later, he writes a book. A book. And the book's very popular in Arkon because it shows that, you know, some of the people were Nazis, some of the people were not, but this was all a, uh, a happy kind of end of the war. And Arkan was brought into the community of nations and there was a big plaque on the old command bunker was this is the start of German democracy, which has since disappeared, by the way. So I assume that's the end of democracy in Germany. Anyway, as I move on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well,
1: these labels are important. If you're going to say this is where democracy starts, if it's gone away, would you assume, you know? If you're going to put up statues and plaques, yep. you have to have a consequence if you lose them. So, Saul Padover sends reports to America which are not in the book. And they tell a very, very different story about what's been going on. Now, in all of this, I can assure you um, from what I've seen of the prison registers. The Americans have got a hard job dealing with people who are smuggling stealing food um american soldiers trying to have sex with women and all sorts of things and um at the same time the monuments men are coming back with the treasure trove of charlemagne so you've got good (laughs) you've got goods going out one side and you've got new goods coming in the other so you are in a very you're in a very confused place and at the same time you've got riots in the streets which eventually led to the Russian POWs being locked up, which is another side of the story. Panover's reports go to German uh, American High Command and the American High Command are horrified because what he's saying is basically Arkan, this prize triumph, has fallen into the hands of Nazis. Then it gets really complicated because on the 25th of March, Himmler sends out a bunch of assassins and they kill Oppenhoff, they assassinate him. In March 1945, it's one of those periods when they're attacking people and you've got the werewolf campaign and all sorts of things going on. And by that stage, I would say the Americans really want to get shot at this place. This is turning into a Kandahar before Kandahar. This is Saigon before Saigon. We have a serious problem here. And Houston, get us out. So, what actually happens then is the British walk in. And the British come in a very, it's hard to describe really. They come in a very strange attitude. On the one hand, you've got all of these wonderful, caring people who want to make the Germans better. And then you've got these other lads who think the only way you can deal with Nazis is give them a good kicking and if necessary, hang them. And. The chief of British security is in the city five minutes and he disbands the whole of the sub-Burgermeisters and recommends the arrest of the chap who is half Jewish because, quote, he's been spiriting out Nazi war criminals into Holland and Belgium on the milk runs because he was in charge of milk and food. So the empty crates were going out with war criminals on and coming back with milk and coffee. So he had to go. The city was just a year under control of British government when the british imposed war crimes trials which are not on the record in the city and what's interesting on the of these war crimes trials and i've got the i've got arcon city chronicles that big red oh yeah that,
0: yeah
1: and the city chronicles refuses to have anything to do wow. with trials i can go to any date here since 800 and i can explain pretty much the history of the city but the series of trials that take place between 1946 and 1949 are not on the record now one of those trials was for the american airmen who were beaten up and local Arkaners were put on trial and that story never got picked up anywhere. The next trial was for the people who were behind the destruction of the synagogue in 1938 during Reich Kristallnacht. Now what's interesting there is the police chiefs who were behind the destruction of the synagogue were also behind the beatings of the American airmen. And then it seemed that In the neighboring villages, there had been cases of American and British airmen who had bailed out and been murdered. So there was a whole range of more investigations taking place. And then suddenly, everything stopped like history stopped. Like this is now 1950, and we go forward and we don't. We don't talk about the war, we don't talk about anything. We just ignore the whole lot and everything's gone and what have you. Which is pretty good. So you get to the 60s when local German history is telling another story that somehow um, the Arkan people were victims, they never did anything wrong, the German army tried to save them, the Americans didn't come as liberators, they were conquistadores, blah, 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 blah. Then you come to the 70s, and you're back to, well the city was victimized by the bombing and Charles Whiting, the British historian, gets involved and he takes the book from Wolfgang Trees, translates the juicy bits and sells the book as Bloody Arken in 1975 for the enormous sum at the time of £4.50. But it's literally an abridged version of Wolfgang Trees' study of Arken. Then as I said in the 90s they people started to remember what they experienced. And if you read the memories in the newspapers on the 50th anniversary, we're talking about serious tragedy. So the bombing comes back. But what's interesting is, as the bombing comes back briefly and then disappears by the end of the 90s, it's pretty much gone again. Um, OK, there's a moment when it turns up in the 60s, but that whole thing disappears. And what you actually get is the story the agenda the present day agenda which is arkham was liberated so in the local press you've got arkham is liberated and then what you find is when there is a study of arkham there was one book that came along it's not heavy it's a lightweight kind of a popular history of the the defeat of arkham but the whole bombing story's gone So now we're in a situation where the city's been liberated by American forces. There's no bombing history. And if anybody who's an Air Force historian of any form, he'll pick up Middlebrook and say, OK, well, you know, it's a minor raid. There's 147 raids, according to operational research papers, where Arkham was continually used as a testing ground. And there's a testing ground that continued under Harris's last days when they tried to make a survey of the place showing that it was the destroyed city. So when I've said. In some of those threads that this is a story with many stories, it is so complicated trying to unpick this story. That. I just felt it was actually worth researching. Because the the literature that we had gone through, the work that I the work that I'd seen was not telling me the story I wanted to know. And the more I dug, the less the story became realistic. I don't know, actual. So I think at this point we seem to have talked a lot more about Arkan than than I, than I intended. But the problem with the story is it's huge. So I have big apologies there,
0: but, you know. No, 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 there's no no need to apologise. And I I think that, you know, I'm sure listeners will appreciate the the complexity of history. History is not black and white. History cannot be condensed. And this is something we're we're going to be talking about in the the next part of this discussion. It can't be condensed into an easy-to-read five-pound Book, you know, the, the, this, uh, and, and we'll be looking at how almost this, this approach has become—it's almost prevalent. But, but there, the, you know, over, certainly over the past 30, 40 years, it, it's been um, a, a way of being a very help, a helpful gateway into understanding the history of a region, into a history of a battle. But all too often, it's produced, often resources as the only. Is the only way, and, and the predominant um, tomb on on a particular battle, um, and, and I'm sure Philip will back me up on this. That when we you know when we write, and I, you know, and myself, we write about things. They they aren't they they're intended to inform, but also to hopefully spur the reader on to look at other works by other by other writers, or furnish them with so much information that they have a complete picture. And and a working knowledge of what is going on, and it also helps. Hopefully, this this discussion today, and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, uh, Phil. By the way, shows you how complex understanding military history can be, because there are so many facets to it. You know, it it, it's not it is literally the, the down the rabbit hole situation, and when you're dealing with three sort of key. Events uh, and, and three sort of key bodies of knowledge uh, and experience in, in one area that that can certainly make things more complex. So no, thank you very much indeed for taking. And I hope that makes sense what I've just said. By the way, and and I, thank you so much for, for for taking us taking the time to to further develop Arkham's story uh, and, and place it into context for us because we this will now follow on in, in, into the next next uh, podcast.
1: I hate to tell you this. Go on. There's, there's not going to be
0: another one. You've just won the Euro <laughs> Millions.
1: <laughs> no, I've got bad news for you. We've only touched the tip of the iceberg.
0: I don't think that's bad news.
1: No, I think it is. People will get so bored of him and I. <laughs> buy the book. <laughs> They'll say things like, "We've earned it all now. Don't need to buy it. Thank you very much. Go write something
0: else." <laughs> well actually, well I, I i I think it's quite important actually i mean and and you raised a really good, valid point there about books, and I think we can sort of because you've 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 prepared the tweet list, which again updated um tweet thread will be in the the descriptor. this will sort of glide us nicely back to the books that you've you've already raised um and the very and I think it's very important to look at the the books and how history is recorded
1: well, I want to say something which. I don't normally do because it's a bit cheeky. But somebody this week said, oh, I didn't know Richard, you know, Richard Holmes, my supervisor, didn't know Richard done anything on bombing. Okay. So there's like this moment of silence. Well, of course, he did this television program about bomber (laughs) Bomber Command. And I thought, that's really interesting because what it tells me is, what we remember, what, what people remember of Richard Holmes is on a horse in the First World War, going around dip, going through trenches and what have you. What they don't pick up on is the other aspects of his history. And a lot of what Richard and I discussed during my supervision period actually is fielding into this stuff with the bombing. Because one thing I learned from Richard is when you start to disengage and break away doctrine actually looks like and what it actually means in in action and what how that breaks down it's a very valuable way of how how, looking at how you know in my sense okay now politics of violence but if i put my military history hat on it's how military history functions that somebody comes up with an idea and at some point that idea has got to be implemented. And that process which Richard would constantly talk about, I think a lot of people miss. They see them, they see the image, but they don't see the rest of it. And I think that's what's happened a lot with the story of Arkham and Bomakamuk. And I will stop now. Because I know people want to have a cup of tea. And in Biggles' case, going <laughs> out in his sock with camel. <laughs> Listen. Go uh, uh, shoot down uh, uh, the red Baron.
0: Uh, uh, as we speak now, the, the chocks are being polished. Uh, well. Mrs., Mrs., Mrs. Big, Mrs. Biggles is adding an extra layer of dubbing it onto the trench coat. And I believe the, the younger Biggles have, have finally got the, uh, the, the oil stains out of the, the silk scarf. Now, I, I cannot be.
1: Your daughter spin the propeller. I you.
0: you <laughs> so any child labour if they get paid, as they say. <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> well, she, she's doing well today. She's the worst today. So yes, she doesn't. She's probably in the. She's probably poo picking in the field tomorrow in the paddock. So I'll, I'll, I'll let her find that one out for herself tomorrow morning. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you
1: have a very good weekend, my
0: friend. And you, my friend, listen, thanks once again uh, for joining me. And, listener, thanks um, for listening through and and listening to um, Dr. Phil Blood. There's going to be a load... Of 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 sort of uh, links to as we say as always to introduce the idea some of the ideas uh, some of the concepts some of the the personalities we've discussed today and I really do encourage you to to not be on the fact we were just directing you to a Wikipedia side let this be a spur there is so much more in there um, and just enjoy your own research well we will be back next week to further discuss part three of Avro's and Archen, and from me, uh, O.C. Biggles. Well, Biggles will do, I think, to be brutally honest. Now you can't command yourself, can you? Um, <laughs> you are commander, squadron leader, Biggles. <laughs> Civilian in uniform. Proud Civilian of it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Phil. Take care, my friend. Cheers. Uh, And listeners, wherever you are, wherever in the world you are, do take care. Look after yourselves. Look after one another. And uh, we look forward to having you joining us uh, back in the Edgerton's Lounge soon as. TTFN.